Hello, and welcome to this episode of Inside the Vault. Today, we're excited to have Amy Small join us from UMB Bank. Amy currently serves as Senior Vice President and Executive Director of Institutional Custody at UMB Bank. Amy joined UMB in 2018 as the leader of UMB's Institutional Custody line of business. She has over 20 years of combined financial services and business development experience. Prior to joining UMB, Amy served in various leadership roles, including financial operations, relationship management, and business development. UMB Bank is a leading provider of financial services for individuals and institutions. As one of the nation's leading custodians, UMB provides valuable solutions for global and domestic custody needs. So Amy, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, I'm happy to be here. Okay, so let's jump right in. UMB Institutional Banking. Uh, there, your, your firm is involved in technology investments, uh, integrated banking capabilities, and I love this one. Uh, you have a commitment to be a provider of choice. So Amy, let's just start off by, uh, let me start off by asking you to give a brief overview of UMB Institutional Banking, who you are and what you do. Sure, thank you. UMB is a 100-year-old financial institution. So we have UMB Financial Corp that has banking and institutional services underneath it. Um, we have over $1.3 billion in annual revenue in 2020, which is a, a big deal for us. We broke a billion in 2019, and then we surpassed that in 2020. We have over $132 billion in assets under custody today, which um, is significantly larger than we were just a few years ago. So we're growing rapidly within institutional banking. And then we have banking services across you know, the entire nation. We really service clients across the nation, but we have banking services across eight states um, throughout the metro. So Missouri, Illinois, Kansas, Colorado, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Arizona, Texas. We're in a lot of the major markets across the nation. But again, we service clients across the globe. Okay, fantastic. And, and I'd like to get in, in a second, I'd like to get into a little bit more about that growth. Uh, that's very interesting to me. But let's start off quickly by saying, by, let me start off quickly by asking you this question. Uh, bank custodians used to hold physical stock certificates. In a digital world, what does your business look like today? And how do alternative fund sponsors work with you? That's a lot of questions all in there, so I'm happy to answer that. Um, custodians really are designed to protect the assets of the fund. So a lot of this group is familiar with an IRA custodian, which UMB also offers those services. Um, but we're really today talking about the custodian of the fund or the pooled product itself. So the investors send in their money, it gets deposited, and then that money gets invested into underlying investments, whether it's private equity, whether it's stocks, bonds, you know, traditional you know, debt, um, bank loans. So after that money comes in, it's invested, then the custodian is really there to protect those assets. So we make sure that nothing goes to a bad player. We make sure that um, it comes from a good instruction. It comes from an authorized person. We have systems in place to really protect those assets. We don't very often anymore see physical um, stock certificates or physical documents, but there is some, especially in the alternative world, there's still a lot of document custody involved. So we could have electronic document custody, specifically if you're into bank loans. There's still some of that that we protect, we have to document, we have to have audits in place 
to make sure we're protecting. And then all of the activity after that. Once the investment's done, there's dividends that pay, there's corporate actions that occur, different you know, buildings are bought and sold, companies are bought and sold, custodians follow through all of that to make sure we re-register everything and keep everything safe with it for the fund. Okay, and um, how do you work with an alternative fund sponsor in, in this, this phase that we live in? I know you're, you're, you have a huge presence outside of this, this uh, independent broker-dealer world, but how do you work with the fund sponsors? Sure. With, with these fund sponsors in particular, there's, you know, there's the registered products, so the BDCs, the interval funds, the tender funds that are truly 40-act funds they require a qualified custodian. UMB Bank is a qualified custodian. It has to be a bank or trust company that's received that designation. And we um, are audited as such. So we service those um, as far as keeping track of, again, it's keeping track of the cash, which is generally what people think of custodians that we just move cash. It's keeping track of all of the assets of the fund, working with your accounting partners to make sure that we are in sync. There's a checks and balances there. So for the registered products, pretty simple. We also have lending that we either work with here at UMB can do secured lending, or we work with a lot of lending partners. We have several banks across the, across the nation where we're able to help collateralize some of the assets specifically for the alternatives and um, to work with them, collateralize that, pledge it to them, and then work so the clients can get access to, um, to the liquidity there that they need. And then also there's you know, there's proxy voting, depending on the underlying investments. There's a lot of AML paperwork for alternatives. There's a lot of AML. There's a lot of manual paperwork, a lot of um, filling out documents for private equity. And some of these sub docs, as you all know, can be very lengthy. So figuring out the requirements for each one of the sub docs and keeping all of that, our team does that service for our clients. So our clients can work on figuring out the right investments and making money we do that paperwork and that AML for them and take the burden off of them. And Amy, when you when you say paper, do you do you literally get paper in the mail, snail mail? You literally get or is it is it documents that are attached to emails or some other way you receive that? Yes, it's both. So um, it's unreal. Uh, you know, throughout COVID, you know, so when everybody went home overnight, we still had to have people in the office because we still get physical paper in the mail. Some, many investments still require wet signatures, especially as you start moving into some of the, you know, foreign, um, foreign banks, foreign markets. But many of our sub docs for private equity specifically require um, still the wet signature. So we get documents in the mail. We have notaries here on site. We have all of, you know, all of the signatories that we need here. Um, so we had people in the office the entire time making sure that there was not a delay in any service. Right. And I see that you're back in the office. So that's that's a good thing. You know what? I came in today, so my dog wouldn't interrupt us. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, I'm glad you were capable or glad you were able to, to come back in. That's good. We're making progress here. Yes. So speaking of that, though, Amy, the world has obviously made a huge move to digital processes in, in the past year, even uh, and yes. primarily due to COVID. What are some of the big changes in, in your world related to digitization and automation? You know, I, I would say that we've all talked about moving to electronic filing, right? So instead of the paper documents, like you talked about moving to electronic and 
we've talked about it. I've been on committees in the alternative world for a decade or more talking about moving to electronic signature, getting rid of subdocs, um, moving to AIP, getting all of these things in place so we didn't have to have those papers anymore. And I would say COVID overnight forced us all to as much as we could force some of that. Wow. So yeah, and it literally was over a weekend. We're all on call trying to figure out how are we going to handle, you know, we still have some, some um, requirements for wet signature, but we forced traditional banks to think differently. We forced markets to think differently, providers to think differently about the actual wet signature versus the emailed version versus the typing your name. Um, people all over the world launched DocuSign or e different kind of e-sign initiatives that I do think have improved and and will remain post-COVID. And, and it really opened our eyes to how much we could do overnight digitally. But what it also did, because it was overnight, um, it really threw a loop into people's control processes. And so processes that were in place before for validating everything through paper, having to rethink that and make sure now that this email that's coming in is from an authorized person, it introduced a playground to the bad players. I mean, uh, it, it, they were able to up their game overnight because now people are using new procedures. They're now at home, they're distracted. Um, there, there were worries just overnight at what could possibly, you know, what could possibly go wrong with these emails. And so it instituted new, new procedures. Well, I, yeah, go ahead. Uh, so we just, we saw firms, you know, it's been so long ago now, but we saw firms really begin to question that. We were able to quickly work through, hey, what we used to do. So as a custodian bank, one of our fundamental controls is having authorized signers list that we validate every single transaction against, right? Well, people are no longer in the office with scanners. They're no longer signing things. So we had to adapt to it. Still had to come from an authorized person, but it's no longer an authorized signer. It's no longer an authorized signature, it's an email. Well, now that email can be easily um, manipulated from some of the bad players. Okay, very, very interesting. All the dynamics that have taken place just as a result of, of COVID, that, what strikes me is you say literally over the weekend, uh, you guys <laughs> had to figure it out over the weekend. Um, mm -hmm. I, I would have liked to have been a fly on a wall uh, listening to listening into those conversations, but what it did, COVID did, it forced so many positive things to occur. This is one of those uh, amongst all of the horrible things that did happen. Some positive things did occur as a result, which is very typical uh, how we respond to things. So, uh, okay, Amy, what can you tell alternative managers, uh, investment managers about? new fraud risks in the digital area or in the digital era? Well, I can say if you're watching the news at all um, and they're scaring you with fraud, you should be scared. We should all be scared. I have some personal examples that I'm gonna share. I have some professional examples that I'm gonna share where again, the bad guys have just gotten worse. Wire fraud, cybersecurity, social engineering, business email compromise. They're not just buzzwords. Um, it's not just job security for people, they're real and, and we need to all be paying attention to it. And so as we all shifted very quickly overnight, we're all soon going to be shifting probably a lot of firms back into the office. And so 
it's almost like it's going to open up a brand new playground again um, because policies and procedures are changing again. Um, and so, I, you know, as the bad guys are getting better at their jobs, we all have to get better at um, anticipating what they're going to do and increasing our sophistication in our technologies, but also people just have to do their jobs right. You can have the best technology in place, you can have the best processes in place, but the number one failure um, for fraud, I think most people know this, is with our people, right? Someone being kind and letting someone through a door, like holding a door open. Mm. But more importantly, we're very trusting. So you get an email and um, I'm going to, can I tell you a story? I'm going to tell you a story yeah. about Chris, Christmas yeah. time. Yeah, give me a story. Okay. So Christmas time, uh, my son, he's 16, he was looking for a PlayStation 5. And if you have children, you know that those were near impossible to get. Everybody was on waiting lists. They're selling out everywhere. I set up a Twitter feed. I didn't even know I knew how to do that um, to get notifications. Anytime a store had any PlayStation 5s, I would get some kind of notification. So my parents knew that. So my dad calls me one day. And, um, and my dad's a, he's a smart guy. He's a business guy. He is, he's up and up on technology, right? He got an email telling him he won a free PS5 for being such a loyal customer to Best Buy. That all he had to do, or he, he was in the drawing to win. He had to spin this wheel. And if he spun the wheel, he won a free PS5. He's so excited. Why? Because his grandson, the apple of his eye, wanted this. And he was going to be the hero. He spins the wheel, he gets the notification, he won. All he had to do was pay shipping. So what does grandpa do? Grandpa puts in his credit card. Um, actually, I think it's debit card, which is really worse. Puts in his debit card and pays the shipping and handling. And then he calls me and he's like, sis, I got the PS5 for Chunky. I'm like, how did you do that? And he tells me, and I don't want to embarrass my dad, but I'm like, dad, you just got took. The fraudsters are getting better and they just got you. You've got, we've got to figure this out right now. So we sorted out. Clearly he didn't win. But you know what? Why I would say that is because that happens in business too. They hack into our email. They know exactly how we talk. They know who we normally send money to. And they get to us with some kind of link. Like right now they're sending out helpful, here's how to manage teams at home. And so people click on that because, hey, I need to learn how to manage teams at home. You now just gave them access to your email. That's business email compromise. They now have access to your network. They're sending emails, changing your wiring instructions. And then, you know, millions of dollars just went out the door to China and you're not going to get it back. And so everyone should be scared and they should be looking for ways to prevent that. So whether that's, you know, having a banking partner that has, um, like wire portals with multi-factor authentication, having policies and procedures in place for callback. So if you, if you get a notification to change wire instructions, there 100% should be someone calling you saying, hey, did you authorize this? And go through all of the details. What we find is people really are in a hurry to get off the phone during those callbacks. And so they're like, yeah, 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 I authorized a wire. Well, they did authorize a wire, but this person came in and changed a few details about that wire and now that money is no longer yours and it's real and it's gone. And so, you know, it, it's just so bad. The FBI actually issued a warning that wire transfer fraud has grown 100% year over year over the past three years. So 100% every year over the past three years because everybody has moved to electronic and there's two groups that are vulnerable. There's elderly abuse, but you know what? It's also 
the younger generations because they're so trusting with technology. They're clicking and they're trusting. So, you know, wire fraud is everyone should be worried about business email compromise. Everyone should be worried about because they're good. They're good and they're convincing. So, uh, Amy, who are these bad people? Are they in our country or are they outside the country? You know, both. Um, it's both. But I would say they're going to get your money outside of the country as quickly as possible. So especially if money is going to a foreign account, there's additional controls that surround that. Because as soon as it's out of the U.S., we, there's very little we can do about that. Okay, and is who who is uh, who is the primary agency um, that is supposedly fighting these things and tracking these bad people down? Is it the FBI? It's the FBI. We personally engaged the FBI on a fraud case we had here last year, and, and it was for let's say one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and it wasn't enough for them to worry about. Well, I don't know about you, but one hundred fifty thousand dollars is a lot to me. It's a lot to my clients, but the FBI is going to take really, really big cases, right? So when you're at, when it's your individual money, when it's 100,000, 500,000, you're not gonna get a lot of help from the FBI. It's almost like calling and reporting, you know, someone's jaywalking. You're just not gonna get a lot of attention. And there's no way for us to get in front of these hackers and stay in front of the hackers? They're gonna keep being smart, but that's why processes and procedures have to continue to evolve. Uh, we have to keep thinking of, you know, it's, I, I'm a pretty positive person, but when it comes to custodial banking, our mindset here is what could go wrong? Like what possibly could go wrong and how can we prevent it? So we're gonna have mul multiple protocols in place to prevent fraud. We're gonna have a system, we're gonna have a procedure, we're gonna have training, we're gonna have quarterly attestations that people understand their training. We're gonna have additional managerial controls to sit on top of that, internal audits, external audits, all of these things to ensure that we have the best possible processes in place. We have consultants come in and talk, with, you know, review the procedures. We don't share the procedures because then people can get around them, but come in and review and make sure, yes, we have thought of here's how the, here's how they can get us. Right now, it's don't click on any links. I mean, I tell my teenagers, yeah. I, I tell my team at work, don't click on links. Can you can you identify a bad email by by just looking at the email domain, or or is it trickier than that? There's a lot of tricks, honestly. You know, um, you guys probably get the ones from Amazon and Apple that are barely fake. So it'll say like from Amazon, you know, dot cow or something. You know, they 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 change like one little thing in it, or so yeah. you you can hover over a link um, if you just really feel like you need to click it hover over it first, actually look at the domain, where is it coming from? Um, you know, okay. if it's coming from a trusted person that sent you this and said, hey, Stacey, check this out. I, I literally am like, um, hey, did you send me this? I I'm not yeah. gonna click on anything yeah. and they're good. Yeah. I again, they know what you're gonna look at and what you're not gonna look at. They're yeah. gonna send you things like, oh, we're about to suspend your PayPal account because there's an error. They want you to log in so they can get to your, PayPal account. Yeah, but you're like you're right. The the elderly are vulnerable. I know that my mom, uh, she gets on the computer and mm -hmm. you know she the, the only thing she does really is email uh, and then Facebook. Um, mm -hmm. Or you know she might go to some internet sites, uh, 
wherever she might go, whatever her interests are, she might do those kinds of things. But she will get the email and she'll she'll call me, Stacy. I got this. I got this. You know, I I, I clicked or I didn't click or whatever. But uh, and I'll say, Mom, I've told you, don't click on things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll get things here too, and I'll send it to Sonia and Betsy, and I'll say, Hey, anybody know what this is or is this spam? And and they'll they'll check it out real real quickly. But anyway. The, the, the main thing, Amy, for someone like me to know is don't click on a link that you don't absolutely know. Is that right? Yes, don't. Just okay. don't click on links. All right. I've got a question, too, that's come up in my own mind about this. And, and uh, uh, well, the question is, what about your cell phone? It seems like it seems like nobody gets in trouble with their cell phone. How's that? How's the cell phone different than the computer? It's not. So you'll get texts, my kids, especially. So you'll get texts with links and um, those links. And it's telling you like, oh, if you don't do this, it's going to wipe away all of your pictures. Well, you get that to my teenage daughter. She doesn't want to have her pictures wiped out. She's going to click that. And now all of a sudden they have access to your bank account, everything. And um, you just, you can't click on stuff. Listen, if you get a link and it's, let's say it's an article you want to read, go to the website and look at the article. That's what I don't, do. Don't click on the link. I don't click, you know, I'll hover yeah. and, you know, if, it, if I know it's coming, it's a little different, but yeah. um, they're good. They're going to, they're going to get you. Okay. So Amy, what about colonial? What can you tell us about colonial pipeline? How that happened? Who did it? Why in the world did we pay the ransom? Uh, it obviously affected a lot of people where I live in the South. I saw the gas lines myself. Um I'm just curious to know what you can enlighten us about regarding colonial. Yeah, so in the specifics, probably not much, except here's what I can tell you, is that people pay the ransom way more often than you think. I I thought that that was just something in the movies. For the longest time, I thought nobody really does that. No, you, they have to. I I mean, they, companies get hacked and you cannot have your network back. You cannot have this back until you pay the ransom and they don't have a choice. The ransom gets paid because you have to have your you have to get information back you have to get your networks back your servers back but but even with the fbi involved are we not smarter than all these people even with the (laughs) fbi involved so see isn't that funny like even the fbi is not smarter so like why wouldn't why would we think we're smarter all of that's why it's the vulnerabilities 100 come in because people right it's general it's that generally somebody somewhere let they opened a door somewhere to let them in somewhere yeah. when i say opened a door right metaphorically right somebody opened a door to expose them somewhere and that's what happens whether it's you know you answer a phone call and you have social engineering where you give out too much data whether you talk too much and somebody's overhearing you whether you click on a link send an email whatever it is somebody opened a door and UMB is on top of this, uh, like all custodians should be, and I'm assuming most custodians are, but UMB is on top of this, and you recognize the threat, you recognize the potential for disaster. So I applaud you for that, commend you for that, Amy. So thank you for taking this all so seriously. So let's move on. Uh, UMB is known for servicing interval funds, hedge products, uh, private equity, how are you building on that, uh, what you are known for, for the alternative landscape? 
Sure. So we, um, in corporate trust, we do escrow services for a lot of the clients that require escrow to launch their new products. We also have, of course, traditional banking services. So as the investors are depositing cash throughout capital raise, paying distributions, all of that, we handle that. We are the first bank to do AIP settlement. Um, we, you know, so we worked through that and we were the very first and still one of the very few um, to launch AIP settlement. And then, of course, we have investor services, transfer agency, administrative, um, fund accounting, all of those functions within our fund services world to service these, these types of products from escrow raise or from inception all the way throughout their life cycle. And we're a leading provider today in the tender and interval funds. We have a great hedge fund offering as well. Um, we've doubled um, in private equity just in the last year. I think we've doubled our assets under custody there. Okay, great. Uh, what is a bank custodian's role related to cryptocurrency and other digital assets? And, and what are you seeing in this space? Um, and what's the big deal about crypto <laughs> Bitcoin and other digital assets. What's the big deal about those? Yeah, it wouldn't be a phone call right now without talking about crypto. I mean, it's just it's everywhere. And and, and you know, even with the, the recent turmoil in the market with um with Bitcoin, um it's it's a growing sector. We continue to have clients question us. Now, right now in registered products in the 40X space, again, BDCs intervals, they are not allowed to hold crypto, but we're seeing it in a lot of our private offerings. And um, we're seeing a lot of questions on that. And, and I, you know, SEC is reviewing, um, you know, the risk there as, as far as crypto goes. But the OCC, who oversees the banks, the federal banks, has released um, guidance that federally chartered banks can crypto or hold crypto in custody. And so we're looking at that very extensively, as many custodians are looking at, you know, do you build or buy? Do you work with, you know, an established crypto provider? And as a matter of fact, we we have, we have several things in, um, in place right now to be able to handle as, as more and more of our clients want to hold crypto assets. Okay. Um, I heard a pretty knowledgeable guy the other day say that uh, crypto, Bitcoin, that sort of thing, and I don't really even know what really what it all means, but he said it's just an easy way for people to transfer and hide money. So why are we allowing this into our system? What, why would he say that and what's he talking about? Is there an element of truth to that? There are a lot of opinions on crypto right now. So you'll, you'll talk with some um, who talk about how much safer it is, um, who talk about because a lot of the currency is mined offline. And so all of that protection, all of those worries we just talked about on wire fraud, mm -hmm. there's an argument, I'm not going to give you my opinion on either side, but there's an argument that it's safer because it's a lot of these mines um, are held in cold storage offline. And so you can't hack into them essentially. So there's, there's one side of it. And um, there's also, you know, a thought that just like we moved from, like we talked about earlier, certificated shares and we moved to everything held in book form and then now everything's electronic held at DTC or moving through AIP etc um this is the next this is the next thing right and you know in the 80s could we have all pictured the automation that we have today probably not is crypto going to be um completely adopted in the next few weeks probably not 
is it 20 years from now what NSCC is today or AIP is today? I, I don't know, but I know there's a lot of interest. I know almost every industry meeting I go to, we're talking about it and we are doing everything we can from an education standpoint and from um, a technology standpoint to make sure we're ready for the trend that we see coming. Okay, fair enough. So the big question, Amy, uh, can you sum, sum up our brief discussion today uh, about what all of this means for the, for the advisor? As you know, Blue Vault's main client is the advisor. So how does the advisor benefit from uh, UMB custody um, and the services that you provide? Sure. So a couple of things, when, you're, when there's a fund that has their assets with a, with a custodian, that should make the investors feel more safe because there is an additional check and balance there that if, if we're saying we're holding these assets, there is a qualified custodian validating that. So quarterly or annually, whatever it is, getting, getting independent market values from these underlying investments, making sure that those are still in place, holding the documentation for that, securing the loans. So for as you're talking to the investors and they're making choices, if there's a qualified custodian supporting that fund, then you have that added level of protection. Okay, and, but every the custodian is behind every one of those funds, right? So I guess I would, I would say, why UMB? Why is, what's the differentiating factor behind UMB versus another custodian? And, uh, well, and, and again, this is kind of me asking, I'm interested, this may not be a part of the uh, of, of what we do, but I'm, I'm curious to know if you can enlighten us on that a little bit. Yeah, so two things. I mean, so first, most of these products, unless they're a registered product, they aren't required to have a custodian. Oh, so okay. if it's a non-traded REIT, if it's a lot of these products, they're not required to have a custodian. And so there is an additional benefit of them using a custodian. So there's that, that's one piece. Um, and where UMB really differenti differentiates ourselves is that we, um, this is a business we want to be in. We, some of these clients at maybe some of the larger firms wouldn't be a big fish. Um, and, and to us, this is an area we target and we want. And so we don't, while we have fantastic technology, very competitive technology, and we will use that where it, where it fits, we don't force people to a, you know, a industry standard model. We don't force people into technology. We couple that with a very high touch customer service on our side. So we are going to be flexible. Over the past year, the things that we've had to be innovative on, not just related to COVID, but product launches, wanting to use new trading platforms, wanting to figure out how to work with cryptocurrency. We have several in the works right now, wanting to figure out if they can hold cannabis. I mean, there's so many different components that whereas other custodians might not want to deal with that for a one-off that's that's what we do we are we're scrappy and we're going to work with our clients to come up with a really good model that works for them uh, i like that a lot you're scrappy uh mm -hmm. you roll up your sleeves and get things done so that that's a perfect way to end this amy so this good. has been very helpful uh, i want to thank you for joining us and we really appreciate what you and UMB Institutional Banking are doing to advance solutions for advisor and the industry at large. So I hope you'll come back and join us again, Amy. Thank you. I enjoyed it. If someone wants to learn more about UMB or reach you in some way, uh, how do they best do that? 
Sure. So you can go to our website, umb.com backslash institutional custody, and you can get to us. You can email me directly, amy.small at umb.com, and I will make sure we connect you with the right people. Great. Well, thank you so much, Amy, for joining us today. And that's going to wrap things up uh, for us today from inside the vault. We appreciate you taking time to join us today. And please be on the lookout for future podcasts or visit our website at bluevaultpartners.com slash podcast to view past episodes. Have a great day.